Hello, I'm Bert Koletzko as a Kroner Senior Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Munich. And it's a great pleasure to introduce you to the development of reference nutrient intakes for preterm infants and the new global guidelines on nutrient needs. So how do we define reference nutrient intakes? The goal is to meet the physiological requirements of an infant to maintain normal growth, development and health. It's obviously based on a review of the scientific evidence and the literature. And in the case of preterm pre infants, unfortunately for several nutrients, we still lack conclusive studies. So we need to remember that there are still some considerable uncertainties on the numbers of adequate intakes. Importantly, for several nutrients, the needs are related to weight gain velocity. So we basically describe the nutrient needs as daily intakes per kilogram body weights. We also provide data for nutrient levels per 100 kilocalories of intake, which is important if you actually feed a baby to look at what is in your supply. And this is based on uh, the calculation from an energy supply of 110 kilocalories per kilogram a day, considered to be sort of the minimum of an adequate range of a healthy growing preterm baby. So we have derived these in the new global guidelines by having a group of leading experts from all around the world review the evidence. Um, individual groups drafted text and recommendations which were critically peer reviewed, carefully revised, and then submitted to a formal consensus process. And you see on the slide, the level of consensus defined by the percentage of supporting votes. And I can say that basically for all nutrients, we have strong consensus or consensus. So the next table shows you a, a, a comparison of the new uh, reference nutrient intake values compared to the previous edition of this exercise published in 2014. So for some of the nutrient recommendations, the levels have remained the same, for others they have changed. So you see, for example, um, the range of lipid intakes has become wider. The recommended phosphorus intake has gone up to higher levels. And I'll come back to the reasons um, why we chose to do so. But before doing so, let's just go back to defining the concept of reference nutrient intakes. It's basically based on the concept that there is a Gaussian or normal distribution of requirements with, with the median being the estimated average requirements and plus and minus two standard deviations define sort of the range of most of the population with a lower threshold intake and the reference nutrient intake being defined at the amount that covers basically the needs of all the population. On the other hand, there is an upper safe level of intake. Um, levels above these are generally avoided because there is concern of untoward effects. So what we try to achieve as an acceptable range of intakes is anything between the reference nutrient intake and an upper safe level of intake. However, these are values for groups of infants the needs of an individual preterm infant may actually differ from 
what is defined in the tables that we provide, depending on not only gestational age, but conceptional age, but also birth weight and thereby body stores at birth and the weights of weight gain or current weight and therefore the amount of nutrients that are required for growth and particular, any particular disease conditions. For example, a child with a heart defect with severe lung disease will have markedly changed nutrients. Let's go look at the importance of timing of supply, the importance of early supply right after birth. The fetal amino supply via the placenta amounts to about three and a half to four grams per kilogram a day. If we want to achieve fetal accretion, we need to provide amino acids from the day um, of birth, from the first day of life. And if we achieve that in a good way, then we would match the protein balance in utero, a protein accretion of about two grams per kilogram a day. However, if you would give to a preterm glucose infusion only, then we don't, we not only don't achieve protein accretion, but we will also reach a protein oxidation to meet energy needs. And within only one week, about 22% of body protein would be lost. Obviously, that's a nutritional emergency because if you lose a fifth of your body protein, you have markedly adverse effects also on the composition and function of your organs. The protein requirements of preterm infants depend on current body weight. You see it in this table, between 500 and 1500 grams body weight. We um, recommend 3.5 to 4.5 grams per kilogram per day with enteral feeding and up to 3.5 with parenteral nutrition. Between 1500 and 2000 grams, three to four grams with enteral nutrition and with uh, was, with a body weight between two and 2.5 kilograms, an intake of 2.5 to 3.5 grams per kilogram a day. We want to give human milk as much as possible, but we must be aware that human milk doesn't meet the protein requirements of a preterm infant. The um, protein content in own mother's milk is too low to reach the needs of the preterm infant. We try to achieve a protein supply of 2.5 gram per 100 milliliters of milk. And also it falls markedly over time. So to achieve a good protein supply in infants fed human milk, we need to add extra, extra protein, we need to fortify. It's also important to remember that the milk of donor mothers tends to have an even lower protein content of own mother's milk. And that is because donor milk is typically collected at a later stage of lactation when the protein content has fallen. Uh, another important group of nutrients are the polyunsaturated fatty acids and particularly long chain polyunsaturated fatty acids, DHA and arachidonic acid. They are not synthesized by the preterm infant, the long chain proof at DHA in amounts that are needed for growth. If we calculate what is accreted in utero, we conclude that DHA, DHA intakes of about 1% of fatty acids 
along with hyaluronic acids are required to match fetal accretion. This is important because some randomized controlled trials report considerable benefits of providing DHA and hyaluronic acid for visual and mental development and for risk reduction of retinopathy of liquidal infants. If we don't provide DHA and hyaluronic acid in preterm infants, then we see a very rapid fall of the plasma concentrations, both of DHA and arhydonic acid. And again, that has been associated with adverse effects on function and outcome. If you provide human milk, then we not only give a supply of DHA, but also of arhydonic acid. And interestingly enough, arhydonic acid and DHA are correlated in human milk, both of term infants and of preterm infants. And in these two studies from Europe and North America, interestingly enough, the mean ratio between arachidonic acid and DHA was very similar, 1.8. In other words, human milk typically provides twice as much arachidonic acid as DHA. Preterm infants deposit large amounts of DHA and arachidonic acid in the brain and other tissues with apparent functional importance. If we want to match that, then preterm infants need much higher amounts of DHA and hyaluronic acid than we typically provide to a healthy term baby. Preterm infants need about 30 to 65 milligram of DHA per kilogram and 50 to 130 milligrams of hyaluronic acid per kilogram a day. So if mothers provide breast milk in order to um, achieve a high DHA level in their breast milk, we advise them to eat oily fish at least twice a week and to take DHA supplements, for example, about one gram per day. Infants receiving preterm formula should get a formula ideally that provides 0.5 to 1% of fat FDHA and at least the same amount of arachidonic acid as is their SDHA. The next table summarizes the overall recommendations for lipid supply to preterm infants. Medium chain triglycerides should not exceed 40% of fat. DHA, again, 0.5 to 1% of fatty acids. The ratio between DHA and arachidonic acid should be 0.5 to 1, in other words, more or at least as much arachidonic acid as DHA. And we also provide recommendations for choline and L-carnitine. Phosphorus has changed in the recommendations as I alluded to before. Phosphorus is not only important for bone health, but it's also essential for cellular energy met uh, metabolism and important for cardiac, respiratory, and neurological function. It is incorporated in a large portion into the skeleton, but is also a part of all cells of all tissues uh, as part of cell membranes, nucleic acids, uh, glucose metabolism, energy metabolism, and also oxygen hemoglobin dissociation curve. So with any tissue growth, we need phosphorus deposition. Phosphorus deficiency is defined as a serum concentration below 4 milligram per deciliter and severe deficiency below 2.5 milligrams. Phosphorus needs 
Phosphorus needs depend on growth and growth depends on protein supply. So with a higher supply of amino acid and protein from birth onwards, as we recommend today, there's increased phosphorus deposition in lean tissue. And that means we need higher phosphorus supply to prevent hypophosphatemia with an increased amino acid supply. The recommended phosphorus supply is in the table, one to two millimole per kilogram a day. In the first postnatal days, I agree, the after 1.25 to three, although oftentimes in the real world, it's difficult to go above two due to the solubility and molar ratio with calcium. And with enteral feeding, we aim at a higher intake, 2.3 to 3.9 millimole per kilogram a day. Here is a table with uh, more data on the daily enteral nutrient intakes. You can look up the details in the, um, in the guideline book. So I don't want to, to go through the whole table, but I just want to encourage you that all this information uh, is available, is at hand. So go back to the tables and look at the details um, if you have any questions. How do we, in practice, approach meeting the recommended nutrient intakes in very preterm infants? Again, we need supplemental parental nutrition starting from day one with 1.5 to 2.5 grams of amino acids per kilogram a day, increasing rapidly in the next few days to 3.5 grams, along, of course, with sufficient other macro and micronutrients, including phosphorus, Enteral feeding should be started early on within the first 48 hours, preferably with own mother's milk plus fortifier, again, reaching at least 3.5 to 4 grams of protein per kilogram a day, along with sufficient other micro and micronutrients. And if children show gross faltering, we need to increase the protein intake up to 4.5 grams. Parenteral amino acid intake should not be tapered before we achieve a sufficient enteral intake of at least 75 milliliters per kilogram a day. Let me come to the take-home messages. Reference nutrient intakes refer to stable, growing preterm infant populations and are based on current body weight. For most nutrients, needs are proportional to growth, with few exceptions, e.g. water and fat. Nutrient intakes below the RNI, however, may be appropriate during the early postnatal phase prior to full enteral feeding and also during critical illness. And again, needs of an individual preterm infants may need to be adjusted because they can deviate from the population reference intakes. We have a number of open questions. Therefore, there are research opportunities to reduce the knowledge gap on nutrient needs in different subgroups of preterm infants. We have today method and technologies available that can limit the burden of preterm infants participating in such studies so they've become more feasible than ever. And therefore, we think that neonatologists and other researchers, as well as funding agencies, should invest in such studies to advance the solid knowledge on optimal nutrition of preterms, supporting the optimal health and development. Thank you very much indeed for your kind attention.